Welcome to At the Crossroads Church weekly podcast. Our hope is that you will grow in your walk with God and be blessed and encouraged in your daily lives as you listen. You can visit us at our website at atthecrossroads.ca. I want to talk about Scandal of Grace. That's the name of my message, Scandal of Grace. And uh, it's going to make sense as I go through this message. And a scandal is an action or an event regarded as morally or legally uh, wrong and causing general public outrage. Okay? So scandals, scandals always produce general, general public outrage. There's usually morally something going on. And uh, we understand that when Jesus came in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 to 7, we see the prophecy of Isaiah talking about the Lord. It says, for the chi- a child is going to be born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders and he'll be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And that's who Jesus is. His government and his peace will never end. He will rule with fairness And here's the key, the word fairness. He will rule with justice from the throne of his ancestor, David. Say, his ancestor is David. Okay? For all eternity, the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. And so this was a prophecy given by Isaiah concerning what was going to take place with the coming of Jesus. And um, God gives us this precious gift. You know, we we know... um, you know, uh, his only son. And the reason why he gave his only son is to save people from their sins. He wants to save us from our sins. He wants to save us from the effects of our sins, right? He wants us to, to be free. And I love this because he was coming to be the savior of all men. And here it says, we, we, we put gifts under a tree for those we love. How many do that at Christmas? You know, you, you, you wrap up gifts and you put them under the tree for your kids, for your mother-in-law, for your father, you know, for all the people you love, you put them under the tree. And I don't know about you, when, when Christmas morning comes, and sometimes because we've got Europe, European tradition here, we, we do Sunday, uh, the Christmas Eve, we open the gifts as well sometimes. And, and there's nothing more exciting for me than to watch uh, my children open gifts, to watch my wife open her gift. And many times I forget to open my own gifts. How many, how many can agree? You, you know, it's like, oh yeah, I have a gift too, right? Uh, because this is the heart of God. He, he, he gave his son for us and it's his heart that we would open the gift, that we would experience Jesus, right? That we would have a relationship with him. See, Jesus was born Okay, basically to be put on a tree for our sins. Like the Bible teaches, you know, the, the soul that sins shall die. That the, you know, when we die, right, if, if we have sin in our life, we're separated from a holy and perfect God. This is a spiritual law that cannot be changed. It's not like God could change it. Jesus was in the garden, and he said, God, if there's any other way, And I'm telling you, if there was another way, God would have made it happen. But there was no other way. The soul that sins shall die. There needs to be the shedding of blood for sin. And so Jesus, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so Jesus went to the cross, and that was how God demonstrated his love for us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We are, like, I don't know about you, but I wasn't chasing after God my whole life. I wasn't going looking for him, but he came after me. How many would attest to that? And God comes after us. Okay, the Bible says we've missed the mark. 
right? And I want to talk to you for a minute about um, how many have ever done up a job resume? Anyone ever do up a job resume? And so you're going to go get a job. So you get a resume and you start writing down everything you've ever done, right? The experience you have, and then you put references on there. You put references. And your hope is that they're going to read the resume and be impressed with your story and hire you. That's what a resume is, right? Okay? But in ancient times, your lineage, your lineage was your resume. Because your, your lineage, when people heard that you were the son of, you were the son of Joseph, and then you, uh, Joseph was the son of uh, you know, Jacob, and Jacob was the son of you know, Zechariah, whatever, and they would say, okay, he comes from a good lineage. Because your, 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 your lineage was your resume. How many hear what I'm saying? And so you either came from, from a good social status or you didn't, based on your lineage, okay? And it was always determined by your ancestral line. And so Jesus has to prove his lineage, his ancestry. And so when we open up in the book of Matthew, it opens up with lineage, you know? And so we're going to look at that for a minute. And I know it sounds boring, but there's a reason why I'm doing that. In Matthew chapter... One, it says, this is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and an Ab of Abraham. And then verse 2 says, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerez, whose mother was Tamar. Okay. Now, there's something very interesting here. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father... Uh, and it goes on and on. In verse 5, it says, Salam was the father of Boaz, who was the mother of Rahab. Boaz was the father of David, whose mother was Ruth. Now, there was something that was happening here that you don't see in other parts of the Bible in regards to lineage. And I'll tell you what that is here, okay? Is uh, Jesus was restoring woman's honor. Because there was a disposition, there was a, there, we were going into a new uh, dispensation of time. Because in the Old Testament, no one regarded women, right? Women were like second-class citizens. And Jesus came, and Jesus like, I'm going to restore the honor of women. And just to, to kind of rub, just rub the social, you know, rub society a wrong way, I'm going to just start putting women's name in the lineage. I'm going to start throwing it in there. How many see that? And, and it's, it's really awesome. And, and, and because there was a new disposition or dispensation of time, and it says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, there's no longer Jew, there's no longer Gentile, there's no longer slave or free people, there's no longer male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so what, what, what was happening was Jesus was coming, there was this new dispensation, where social status and whether you were male or female, whether you were a slave or free, would not determine your value. That we're all equal in God's eyes. How many see that? And so here we have the lineage. In the lineage, we have the list of the mothers. And this is the New Testament writer is basically saying, I'm throwing this in here, and I know it's going to bug people, but things are changing. Say things are changing. Amen? And so, Jesus never treated women the way they were treated in the Old Testament. And we see 
this in the story with Jesus at the woman at, with the woman at the well. How many know the woman at the well? She was she went there and she and Jesus showed up and he started talking to her and he started sharing his life. They were they were having conversation. You can read it on your own later, but they're having a conversation and they're talking and they're having fellowship. She ends up giving believing in him and bringing her whole village. You guys know the story. And so he's having this conversation. I want you to see in John chapter 4, verse 27, it says, And at this point, the disciples came. And here's the word. They marveled. You know what marvel means? It's like they were in awe. They were like, oh, he's talking to a woman. Like you didn't do that. If it wasn't your wife or if it wasn't a blood relative, you did not approach a woman. It was like socially unacceptable for the Jewish people to do that. And Jesus didn't give a rip about that because he loved people. Amen? And he, he mar they marveled that he talked to a woman, yet no one dare ask, uh, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? You see? So that's how awkward it was in that time. All right? And... Uh, then we see another thing here when we're talking about these three people. Okay, I believe not only was she a woman, when we go into the, the lineage, we're talking about Tamar. Okay, Tamar was actually practicing prostitution. And the Jewish people knew it. Now, she only did it once. And I'm going to give you the little summary of what happened here. Okay. So Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. And Judah was the father-in-law. He was the father-in-law of this woman named Tamar. Okay? He's the father-in-law. And there was a scandal in the family. What happened was Judah would pick a wife for his son Ur, his firstborn. And her name was Tamar. But Ur, right, Judah's firstborn, was a very wicked man. And the Lord ended his life. He was a very wicked man. His life was taken from him. And so the custom in Judaism was that the brother would come and take the wife. The next brother in line would take the wife, so she wouldn't remain a widow. So the brother, the next brother comes along, all right? And he said to Oran, the younger brother, I want you to go and be with your wife, your brother's wife, to fulfill your duty as her brother-in-law to raise up offspring for her brother. But Oran, Oran knew that the child would not be his, and whenever he was with her, he just, I'm not going to read it in church. You can read it yourself. But he refused to get her pregnant. And God saw it as wickedness. And he lost his life as well. So the third son, the father was going to give the third son to Tamar so she could have children and have a husband and not be a widow. But he was afraid. What if my third son dies as well? So I'm going to keep my third son from Tamar. So Tamar now is growing up as a widow. She has no children. As a woman in those days, if you had no children and you were a widow, you were like way down on the totem pole in society. And so what she does, of course, is that she goes and she dresses herself as a prostitute and puts a veil over her face. And her father-in-law is coming to the temple and he sees her there and she's all veiled up and she says, hey, you know, let's... Let's spend some time together. And he, well, what's it going to cost? And she basically said, well, give me your staff and give me your thing, and I'll hold on to that. And so, you know, they were together, and then Judah left. 
and she kept on, kept his stuff. And he was all paranoid because like, okay, she's got my staff and my ribbon. And so, you know, if somebody finds out or to bring shame on my family and all this stuff. And so this was like a hidden sin that was going on. And what happened was three months later, Judah recognized that his Tamar, his daughter-in-law, was pregnant. And he got upset. My daughter-in-law is pregnant. She must be practicing prostitution. Let's, let's kill her because the Bible says we need to kill her. Let's destroy her life. And all of a sudden, she comes out and goes, oh, by the way, can you send this to my father-in-law? This is the man who's guilty. And sent the staff back. And it gets in his hand. He's like, oh, my goodness, I'm the one. I'm the guilty one. I can't. And so she got to keep her life. And the Bible says he was never with her again sexually. That is what I call a scandal in the family. That is, say, that's a scandal. This is what was happening, okay? And, and so here's the thing, okay? Um, Jesse was the father of David. David was the father of Solomon's, whose mother was Bathsheba. It says it right in the lineage, okay? The widow, the widow of Uriah, okay? Uh, so David, we know, was an adulterer and a murderer, Okay? And then on top of it, Rahab, the, and then we, we talk about Rahab, she's in here. Rahab was a Moabite, and Ruth was a Canaanite, okay? So uh, they were sworn enemies of Israel, and Jesus was basically saying to everybody about his lineage, I'm Jewish, but I'm not full-blooded Jew. I'm not a full, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not fully Jewish, I'm part Jew. He's making these statements in the lineage, and there's a reason for it, all right? So, Jesus' family tree came from a line, the line of David. There was prostitution, number one, scandal. There was adultery and murder, and there was idolatry. And the writer puts it right in the lineage. And the amazing thing, okay, is this genealogy could have been shared without exposing the dysfunctions in Jesus' family tree. And if you read it in your Bible, you'll see it's in brackets. Oh, and by the way, you know, Tamar. Oh, by the way, Bathsheba. And it's highlighted, okay? And that's why to the Jew that the, the gospel and the cross are a stumbling block because they're saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Why are you talking about shame? We're all about status. Don't, don't, show, don't show what's going on negative in your family tree. Don't do that. That's, that's not cool. And Jesus wasn't moved by it. Okay. 1 Corinthians 1.23 says, But we preach Christ crucified to the Jew a stumbling block, and to the Greeks it's foolishness. All right? I just, have you ever written a resume and you left something off it on purpose? You know, I remember writing my resume and I, and I, I was going to get a job and I was like, yeah, I was at that job for three weeks and yelled at my boss, I'm going to take that off there. You know, I got fired from this job. You don't put it on your resume. How many know what I'm here saying? I mean, there's certain things, let's be honest, we're just not going to put on our resume. We said we're not lying, we're just not telling them everything, right? So we just don't put it on the resume. So why in the world does the writer have to put all this negative stuff in the resume? This is just what baffles my mind, right? And I believe that it's here because the gospel is about grace and truth. And here's something. If Jesus is basically can save his dysfunctional family he can save yours as well 
Amen? And that's what it really is. He's saying, listen, my family was dysfunctional, and listen, I can save them. So I don't know about you. That's hope for us. He can save us. It doesn't matter what you've come out of. It doesn't matter the sins of your past. The enemy would come to say, you know what? You're not good enough for God. God will never love you because you have this in your past, or you have this in your past, or you did this, or you did that. And, 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 and Jesus is just saying, you know what? Don't worry about it because I can forgive you, and I can cleanse you. Amen? This was God's way of saying your social status and your resume, or sorry, this is way God's, God's way of saying forget about your social status. Forget about your resume. I'm willing to overlook all of that. In 2 Corinthians 5, 19 to 20, it says, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not counting people's sins against them. And he gave us a wonderful message of reconciliation, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. And Jesus came to reveal the Father. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. He was caring for people. He was loving people. When they came to stone a woman who was caught in the act of adultery, he came to her defense. He forgave her. He said, go and sin no more. And you know that story. The reason why this is in the genealogy is part of the gospel message in the New Testament is not only that Jesus came to defeat the sin in your life, he came to take away the shame. So you don't have to be ashamed anymore of your past. And when shame starts to rise up and you start thinking about, oh, does God really love me or can he really forgive me? You need to know that those voices are not the voice of God. They're coming from another kingdom. You need to pull them down. All right? And another thing to note, and here's the balance, is these people mentioned in their lineage, the adulterer, the prostitute, you know, um, the murderer, David, they didn't stay in sin. Now, if you stay in sin and continue in your sin, you should feel shame and you should feel guilt because that means God's working on your heart. You're like, you know, I feel guilty. I feel shameful about what I'm doing. Well, repent and get right, right? So there's a balance. But you shouldn't feel shame because here's the thing, all right? Your parents might have defined you by your worst moments. And here's the thing. Jesus would not let a moment of error in a person's life define or label them. And we have moments in our life where we get off track. I have a moment in my life, believe it or not, where I was dealing drugs and I was in sin and I was not in a good place. That does not define me in Jesus' eyes. And so sometimes I'll meet old family members. We went to a family reunion and met someone that I hadn't seen in a long time, a cousin. And she's like, oh, yeah, Travis, man, you are like the part. She goes, you're a party animal. She's like, you were always getting us in trouble. And I was the guy that was like, everyone was nervous to hang out with. Because I would always get in trouble. And I would always, you know, the police, everything was involved. And my family members started telling stories. I'm like, yeah, well, that's not me anymore. You know, she's talking to the family. I'm like, no, no, actually, I've been a pastor for the last, you know, 20 years. That's like old Travis. Like, shh. Like, shame's coming, man. Stop. Right? And uh, so your parents might define you by your worst moment. A teacher might have defined you by your worst moment. A friend, a husband, a wife, an employer might have defined you by your worst moment. 
Maybe you carry shame for decisions and your spiritual resume looks pretty bad. Um, but Jesus didn't come to condemn you. We were already condemned without him. We're condemned without him. It's when he comes, he comes to save us. And what the, the old slew foot, the devil, wants us to think that he came to condemn us. And we talk to people about Jesus. Well, Jesus is just going to condemn you. No, he's here to save you. He's the life raft. He's the one who wants to save you from, from yourself and from the world and from the devil. And you need to come into the kingdom. And he has a heart for you, right? Maybe you carry shame for those decisions. Jesus didn't come to condemn you. Jesus came that we could have life and that we could have life in abundance, which means you're going to have an intimate relationship with God the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And you're going to have a relationship, right? He says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Why? Because he wants to dine with us. He wants to talk with us. And he wants to have fellowship with us. How many have ever had people over? When you say you want to come over and dine, what does that mean? You're going to sit down. You're going to have a meal. You're going to toast. You're going to, you're going to have friendly conversation. You're going to build relationships. It's all healthy, healthy, healthy. And that's why Jesus is standing at the door like a gentleman knocking. And if any man would open and say, come on, he wants to come in and have fellowship with us in a relationship. Isn't that good news? So when we read this lineage and we see that there was prostitution with Tamar, there's a big line across that. It, it's, it's crossed off because she's forgiven. It was a moment in her life. And we see scandal. We see forgiveness. We see adultery and murder. We see forgiveness. We see idolatry. We see forgiveness. So Jesus removed the transgression. Jesus removed the shame. And he said, I, I'm just going to put it right here so everybody can see that no longer... Are, am I or the New Testament gospel going to define people by a moment because now something new has come. It's called the grace of God. Amen? So I have one last scripture. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 4. It says this. Fear not. Can you, can you say that with me? Fear not. Let's read it together. Fear not. You will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth and the sorrow of your widowhood. Amen. David, you want to come to the piano? Why don't we stand and pray? With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're in this place, and you don't know Jesus. I want you to know he's here today to forgive you of your sins. All you have to do, the Bible says, call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. He's waiting for you to climb into the, the lifeboat. He's there. He's, he's, he's knocking at your door. He's longing to know you. And I want you to know this. Not only will he take away the sin, but that shame you're feeling that he, he won't even accept you because of your sin, he'll take that too. And if that's you in this place, with every head bowed, I'm not actually, I'm not going to call you to the front. I just want to make a public confession. If that's you, just lift your hand up. We're going to pray right now that God would remove the shame and they would forgive you. Okay. Okay, I see those hands. I see the hands. That's fine. You can put your hands down. Let's pray this prayer. Just everybody pray with me for the sake of the few. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins and to take away my shame. I want to have a relationship with him. 
And ultimately, I want to have a relationship with you, Dad. I ask that you forgive me. Come and live in my heart by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you said that, prayer. You've come into the family of the living God, and you no longer have to live with shame because he's forgiven you. Isn't that good news? He's so faithful. And Father, I pray for everybody else in this place, Lord, that they would this message would sink in, that any time they feel shame for something they've already asked you to forgive them for, that that shame they would recognize it's not from you, and they would just pull it down and say, no, I'm not listening to that. I choose to listen to the word of God. It says, I'm the head, I'm not the tail, I'm above, I'm not beneath. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you for listening. We hope that you enjoyed our message. If you are in the Quinty West area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning at 24 Dundas Street West, Trenton, Ontario. Check out our service times on our website at atthecrossroads.ca.